So, we uh, uh, have had a, just an incredible time this morning so far. Um, we do have a loose schedule that we try and stick to where we get Gordy on by a certain period of time. Let's just say it's incredibly loose right now and he's prepared lots of stuff and we also want to celebrate communion together. So we need to just pray for a special anointing. You'll be home before the hockey game. <laughs> yeah. No, in all seriousness, we just the sense was that, that um, yeah, I, I know I've said it about 57 times today, I feel like, but just that we would have ears to hear so that Gord, Gordy would know the right yeah. words to say. So let's get you on. Mm-hmm. So, Lord, mm-hmm. you know what Gordy needs. Mm-hmm. Give him wisdom to speak clearly. I just pray that any anxiety would go out of him right now mm-hmm. and that you would cause this message to be distilled, just crystal clear, and that you would give us ears to hear. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Joanna. Well, good morning. How many are enjoying the sunshine? I am currently enjoying a sun high. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm, uh, I planned for speaking half an hour today, and I usually start about 15 minutes sooner. So if you could just keep that in mind. We're going to We'll shoot for being into communion by about 10 after, quarter after today. Um, I feel like I, I'm going to try to tighten this, but I also feel I need to be faithful to share. If you're just in, in joining us um, as a church today, we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount, calling it an alternative society. You let me know if I'm talking too fast, all right? Um, and... Sometimes if I feel I'm short on time, I get really going, and, and then nobody can understand me. Um, and we, we've been arguing that the Sermon on the Mount is a syllabus uh, that Jesus gave for all of his teaching on discipleship. It's a discipleship school, Jesus' discipleship school. And the Sermon on the Mount is a syllabus. A syllabus, if you've been to school, you understand, is like an introduction to a course that you're going to take. And it gives you an outline for that course. It gives you course objectives. And we argued one Sunday that Jesus gave the course objective for his discipleship school. In Matthew 5, uh, 16, where he said, You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Let your light so shine before people that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. In other words, after the successful completion of this course, you will. And and you, by the way, is use, plural. Use all. This y'all. Paul's a Texan, right? You will all give evidence that God is alive. And they will glorify. People who did not worship God will begin to worship Him. People who formerly just worshiped themselves or lived for themselves will begin to live for God and live for others. That'll be the result of the successful completion of this course. And I, and I want to say that as this, as I've watched this church and we're a motley crew and, you know, 
I've watched this over the years, and people come, people go, but you know what the greatest joy of mine has been? Is as we do life together, following Jesus, is to see people who formerly didn't worship God, who are now worshiping God, who are following Jesus. That's got to be my greatest joy. Jesus said that's the greatest joy of heaven, isn't it? So our, the reason why I introduced, introduced that this way today was because in some ways our topic seems a bit counterintuitive to our course objective. Like this isn't, yeah, this isn't the way you get a crowd, Jesus, in, 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 in what he's going to say today. And, and thank you for those songs you guys sang today, again, because so uh, fitting for what our, our text is. So let's look at the text that we're covering today. This is from Matthew chapter 5 or 7, where Jesus says these words, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. This is the good news of Christ. <laughs> so it's kind of like the verse that Joanna read a few minutes ago. It's kind of like, and have a good day, you know, after you, you read it. Um, I grew up in a very strict uh, holiness Pentecostal background. I grew up as a pastor's kid. And for the first few years of my life, it, it, it changed as I, as I got a bit older, but... For the first few years of my life, it was very restrictive, very, uh, I wouldn't say legalistic. My parents were not legalistic in their hearts, but a lot of strange rules. Let's just put it that way. And um, so we kind of had, our, our ethic was, I don't smoke, I don't chew, I don't go with girls that do. That's kind of what our ethic was. And, um, and all was good for me until I probably reached junior high school, and now in Alberta, you have what's called middle school. Here we just have primary and secondary school. But in Alberta you had middle school. And, and I was okay until I got to middle school. But as soon as I got to middle school, all of a sudden, all the things that my friends did socially, I couldn't do. Couldn't go to dances. You know why Pentecostals don't believe in sex? It might lead to dancing. And, um, <clears throat> and you can put you know, Methodist or Mennonite or whatever you want in that. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, and, and so dancing was out. And, of course, a lot of the social extra, extracurricular, you know, where all my friends went and all the cute girls that I wanted to be friends with went, uh, were dances. And I couldn't go. And, of course, I couldn't go to parties because there would be drinking there and alcohol was out. I was able to, I was able to drink Walsh's grape juice, which I think is, is still here. Um, and I'm not completely ungrateful for all those restrictions, by the way, because I think that in some ways God used those to protect me from things that I've watched my friends go through. Uh, so I'm not totally ungrateful. But I do remember in some of the loneliest moments that I felt in junior high school uh, that this, these verses were very comforting to me. I thought, well, I'm lonely. I'm the only guy not at the dance tonight. But wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And I'm one of the chosen few. And uh, the only other chosen few Christians uh, in my school were people that no one liked. So we were a real motley crew. So 
in all of this, when I finally did surrender my life to Christ, and the reason I use the word finally is because as a Pentecostal, you learn how to get saved every Sunday. I remember I would backslide all week as a teenager and then come to church and get saved on Sunday night, cry and repent, and then I'd backslide. Then I found out that was a lot of work. So what I did is I, I changed that. I don't know about if you did this, Wade, but I went to once a year. I just backslid all year. <laughs> then at church camp, right? It was camp. At youth camp, we'd cry and repent, and then we'd backslide for the rest of the year. And it was just a little more efficient than the once a week thing. Um, so when I finally said, okay, I'm really saved, I'm, I, and I surrendered my life to Christ, I remember thinking, you know, um, I, there were some problems with this worldview that I had in the way that I was looking, looking at this, this text. First of all, as I began to read the Gospels in earnest, I began to find that Jesus did a lot of things that I prided in myself in not doing. He was accused of being a drunkard and a, and a glutton by the Pharisees. He hung out with sinners and prostitutes. He loved parties. And... By inference, if you're a Jew, you probably love dancing. And, uh, and I began to realize that as a Pentecostal, that probably wasn't just the Pentecostal hop that he loved. <laughs> and so, um, uh, so that was the first thing, is that, that uh, the people who thought they were the chosen few, they were the ones that got on Jesus' bad side. The religious types. So that was, a, you know, my, my worldview began to get shaken. The second thing was, I discovered that there were all people all over the world who had different beliefs than I did, who also believed they were the chosen few. Like Baptists, for example. Or Catholics. Or Buddhists. Or Hindus. Or Muslims. So how can all these people think they're the chosen few? Somebody's, you know, somebody's missing it here. And so... Uh, there was this parochialism that I began to realize was not in the spirit of the gospel. So, so is, is this particular passage telling us about Christianity being narrow and restrictive, being parochial, being judgmental? If you don't believe what I do, then you're going to hell. Right? Is that what it, this is about? Well, Edwin, we had coffee this week, and he told me that he'd love to preach a sermon someday called, Read the Next Verse. <laughs> That's a good sermon. And the reason why it would be good to do that is because context is everything. So my sermon today is, read the verse before. All right? The verse before says this, and I believe that... Even though this is a syllabus, I believe that Jesus is connecting themes through the Sermon on the Mount. And what is the verse prior to this? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Oh, well that's simple. All right, that's easy. I just do that and I go to heaven, right? Just do that and, and life is good, right? Well, the problem is the others. How many have seen the series Lost? Remember the others? The others. I think that was quite ingenious because the others are people who are not like you. Now, it's, it's hard enough to do unto others as you would have them do unto you. 
when they're like you, when they talk like you, when they look like you, when they come from the same cultural background or same worldview. But what about if they don't? I stole this T-shirt from Dawson, T-shirt uh, picture from Dawson's Facebook called Love Thy Neighbor, Thy Homeless Neighbor, Thy Muslim Neighbor, Thy Black Neighbor, Thy Gay Neighbor, Thy Immigrant Neighbor, Thy Jewish Neighbor, Thy Christian Neighbor, even those guys, <laughs> Thy Atheist Neighbor, Thy Disabled Neighbor, Thy Addicted Neighbor. In other words, when Jesus said, do unto others, he meant others. He meant Enemies. He meant those guys that are in jail for doing some pretty heinous things. He meant everybody. He meant restorative justice. Paul said it this way. Um, Love your neighbor, for in it you have fulfilled all the law and the prophets. You fulfill the whole Torah. Right? Jesus said the, the golden rule fulfills all of what Exodus was, all about the Torah, all about the giving of the law. Well, let's just take a few minutes now and let's work through the text. First of all, Jesus says, enter through the narrow gate. Now, Jewish people listening in Jesus' audience would have known that there, this was a very familiar illustration, very familiar metaphor. Because there was two kinds of roads in Israel. There was very wide roads that were public thoroughfares where lots of people could travel and, and walk. These were public roads. We're usually about uh, something like 20 meters wide. Just... Then there was the narrow roads, and these were more private roads uh, for private property, more obscure, difficult to cross. And... and Gates were the same. There was, there was wide gates. These wide roads would lead into cities. And of course, cities back in those days had walls. So a road to get into a city had to go through a gate. So there was wide gates were these, that were corresponding to these wide roads. But what were the narrow gates? Well, the narrow gates were private gates. They were obscure gates. They were gates that you had to look for. You couldn't just assume that you'd find it. You had to ask around. You had to seek, and when you got to the door, you had to knock. And you, someone might say, well, what do you want? And this was to the city. You had to get permission to enter in through that door. So again, context. What did we just talk about last week? Ask, seek, knock. Enter by the narrow gate. Now these uh, gates, this, the, the Greek for this is... Uh, a, a gate that's constricting, that's difficult to get into, that you have to look for. In Luke chapter 13, Jesus said, make every effort. So it, there, there's a couple things here. Number one, you had to look for the gate. Number two, you had to make effort. And number three, you had to be thoughtful because the crowd was going through the big gate. And there was something in you that went, wait a minute. There's another gate here that I need to look for. You can't just mindlessly go with the flow. There's reflection and, and, and thought. So it required effort. It required thoughtful resistance to the prevailing winds, to the prevailing viewpoint, to the prevailing culture. Jesus said, 
You're going to need to do that. And uh, uh, then he moves on to say, For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. Matthew Henry writes, commenting on this, says that the, uh, the wide gate is a gate that you can go through with all your lusts with you. It gives no check to your appetites, to your passions. You may walk in the way of your heart and the sight of your eyes, and there are no inhibitions or restrictions. Whereas when you came to that narrow gate, if you had baggage, you had to take it off. Often you had to bend over, crawl through it. It was constricting, confining, and it required effort. And broad is the road. See, I knew it. Broadway is the road to hell. I've driven it many times. I've experienced it. Thanks, Paul. (laughs) Every city does have a Broadway. That's true, isn't it? I sent around a video to our uh, to our leadership team this week that somebody had sent on to me from our national gathering a couple of weeks ago. And it's a 15-minute video on the spirituality of Vancouver. And one girl was interviewed. They were talking about the secularism of our city and, and the, uh, the fact that God really isn't kind of foremost in, in, the, in the mindset of our city. And one girl said, well, it's just kind of free. It's, it's kind of takes the burden off. That, that there's no... Nobody that I'm accountable to, that I can just kind of be free to, to be who I am and do what I want and not worry about ever having an accountability. And there's, there's that kind of lack of confinement that comes with this broad road. Now, I'm going to argue that if the interpretive key is do unto others as you would have them do unto you, if it is indeed about community... I'm going to argue that the broad road is the road where there's lots of space where if you don't like somebody, you have the luxury of excluding them from your universe. There's enough room that if we don't get along, I'll just exclude you from my life. I don't have to forgive you. I don't have to work on reconciliation. I don't have to worry about loving someone that is other than me, different than me, being a neighbor to them. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Great Divorce, describes hell like this. Hell is this... it's, It's remarkably graphic. He describes hell as almost the opposite of heaven, where heaven is, everybody's thick and and they're made out of solid substance. But when you get into hell, they become more and more thin and more and more loose and and less real. And it's because every, it's like this city that I won't name on the prairies, that every time they run out of room, they just go farther out and farther out and farther out. And now their infrastructure is starting to implode. I'm not kidding. Their, their infrastructure is starting to implode because they didn't think about how far out they're going to just go. We'll just annex more space. Let's annex the Rockies. Hallelujah. I'm not giving anything away here. Now, he said that hell is... It, it, someone would build their house and then they wouldn't get along with somebody. They said, no problem. I'll just move a few miles away. And, then, and, then, and he said hell was like this incredibly expansive city where you just go and go, go, go. It's interesting, in, in the New Jerusalem, it says that these are the boundaries. It, there's this, this, uh, this four-square city. There's boundaries. And only 12 foundations. Yeah. Only 12. Only 12. That's right. Limitations. 
That's right. That's right. So we an- hell is where we annex more space to get away from others. Give me my space, we say. There's lots of room for everybody. Leave me alone. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house are many rooms. So Jesus says, many enter through that gate. In other words, the default, the word enter, by the way, if I can show you this, see that word enter? is the same word as enter at the beginning of the verse, but it's, a, it's the same verb. My little Greek course last fall is helping me here. It's active voice in the first part, enter through the gate. But guess what the voice is for that? It's middle and passive voice. What does that mean? First of all, it's done to you, but you're still complicit. There's, it's kind of like default. If you don't choose for Christ, you make a choice. But it's a default choice. Right? So middle and passive voice. So Kathleen and I, a few years ago, drove to uh, uh, Niagara Falls from Toronto with our daughter. She just, our daughter Danielle was just graduating from high school. It's kind of a graduation present. We all went after a national gathering in, in, in Ontario. And when we came to Niagara Falls, just, you, you know, it's just the, 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 the grandeur, the power is unbelievable. But they, you take this little drive upriver, and you, they give you a lookout onto the Niagara River, and you just see this powerful river. I mean, how, how wide is it? But you, you look, look, and it's just this incredible volume of water. And you can hear this distant roar, you know. But you look out at the river, and, and you realize that if you're going to go on that River and people do. People go on the river with watercraft, but you realize that you better have power, right? It's not sailboat river. It's not rowing river. You know, you better have power. And I think if Jesus had that analogy today, he would have used it because when you get on the river, the default is you're going that way. The only way you're not going to go that way is you got to have a power greater than that current to take you against the flow. But that is how Jesus describes this world. This world is, is a current, and he says it's heading, brought, it's heading for destruction. Now, the Bible, there's this bittersweet view of the world that I want to talk about. Because there's a, there's a good news, bad news approach that the Bible has. In the Old Testament, Israel... The nation of Israel, God's covenant people, would often get in trouble with their enemies. Remember, they, they, they were meant to be a blessing to the nations, but they were a threat. And so sometimes nations would gang up on them, and, and usually they'd beat the snot out of them. And so, uh, so the nations would get together surrounding Israel, and they would say, we've got we've to get a confederacy here together. There's the only way that we're going to win this. And so you read different times of these wars in the Old Testament, which I take completely as allegorical now. We're fighting a different war on a spiritual plane, and we overcome evil with good and love our neighbor, and that's how we fight our battles now. Jesus came to show us that we still fight, but we fight a different way. We fight with love and sacrifice and giving and and loving our enemies so that we don't have enemies anymore, but they become our friends, right? So, But but it's good allegory for helping us understand... um, where we, where we are today. And, and it's like the, the, there was this confederacy in, in, that, would, 
gang up in Israel. Different nations would gather. And there's a confederacy that is uh, here to defeat you and me. And this confederacy is composed of three entities that are ganging up on you and I to defeat us, to, to rob us of the life that God has for us. And the first enemy that Scripture describes is the world. And it can be confusing because we, the world is not bad in itself. God loves the world, it says in John 3.16. The world was created by God and it's good. And even human society and the arts and, and, and culture is not bad. So what is the world? Well, the world, in summary, is simply that part of human society that has declared independence from God in whatever shape or form. That's all. But it's powerful. And it is one of the uh, confederates against us. And um, the second... Uh, well, what we could say is that the, the, the priorities and the values of this world system are different than the kingdom of God. And you're not valued because you're created in the image of God, but you're valued by how you produce. You're valued by uh, your looks. You're valued by your money. You're valued by your net worth. You know, those kind of things. Whereas our value in the kingdom of God, as we sang earlier, it's the weakest and the least that the kingdom comes to because we're all created in the image of God. But this, there's another confederate that, that aligns itself with the world. And uh, the Bible describes this as the flesh. But again, it can be confusing because, you know, in, in the early church, they sometimes confused Greek Platonism with theology, with, with Christian theology. and They began to have sometimes a bad view of the body. But that's not what the Bible means when it says the flesh. The flesh... Our bodies are good. We're going to be resurrected as we sang this morning. We're going, to, we're going to live in our bodies for eternity. We're going to live with stuff, with dirt, with, with created things. Right? Isn't that how the story ends? Heaven comes to earth and, and uh, our bodies were resurrected. So that's good news. So, so our bodies aren't bad. So what does the Bible mean when it talks about the flesh? Well, John wrote this, 1 John 2.15, if you want some references. Do not love the world or anything in the world. Well, we know that God loves the world, so you know there's a confusion, right? That's the confusion. If you don't, God loves the world, then he says don't love the world. You understand? So there's got to be two different things going on here. Don't love the world or what's in the world. Well, what's he talking about? What don't we love in the world? If anyone loves the world, love... For the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away. If I could get a little less ring on there, Mark, that'd be great. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. So you can see there is a confederacy between that part of the world that is independent from God and our cravings, which again are not wrong in themselves. Our desires are not wrong in themselves. The problem is our desires and our passions and our cravings get misplaced. We're like the guy that has dehydration and he, he goes and pigs out. He doesn't realize that he's, 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 he's slow on water. And we don't know what... We've, we, the scripture, Psalm 63, Oh God, you are my God. My soul thirsts for you. My body craves for you. Right? 
So it's those cravings, and we all have them. We're all human. We all have this longing for connection and for union with God and for community. But they're misplaced. And so we think that we can find them in sexual addictions or money or pride. And and so Paul describes our sin nature this way. Have you ever felt this way? I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. For I do not do the good I want to do. But the evil I do, I do not want to do, I keep doing. (laughs) It's sin living in me that does this. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. I need that motorboat. I need that powerboat. I need that resurrection life. You got one? Thanks, Kenny. Let's go for a ride. So interesting, eh? No formulas here. No disciplines. But a person is, is, the, way, is the way against the flow. And then finally, the last is this guy called the devil. And... Uh, Paul describes it this in Ephesians 2. He says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. See, there's the world. There's the first one. And of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. So the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air are confederated together. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us who lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings, there it is again, of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving destruction. There's that word again, wrath. But because of His great love for us, and by the way, when I can't sleep at night and I have insomnia, I always start quoting these verses. It works every time. So right off to sleep. So beautiful. But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in sin. For it is by grace that you've been saved, and God raised us up with Christ. You and I needed a resurrection. We couldn't just row our way off that Niagara. We couldn't just get a sailboat and join Ross on his sailing race today. We couldn't do it. We needed power. We needed resurrection life. We needed new life. We had to knock on that door. We had to look for that narrow gate. And we had to say, Jesus, I don't want to go. I don't want to go with the the flow. And so, in conclusion, Jesus says, enter through the narrow gate, for small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Relatively few find it. I love the way Jesus never hides the fine print. When I was uh, shopping for a car in the fall, I learned a whole lot about our culture. Boy, they just do anything to get you in the in in the shop, don't they? They they do anything to get you on the floor. And these sales you read in the newspapers for it's just to get you in the store. They will lie, lie, lie. Not not by by blatant lying. They can't do that, but they just withhold the truth and make the fine print really small. Right? I love the way Jesus doesn't give you fine print. The world's, here's what sin does. Sin 
sin is like a used car salesman, a crooked one. So if you're, if you're a used car salesman, forgive me. But, but a crooked one, right? Where, where over-promising, you over-promise, and you under-deliver, and you always conceal the fine print and the cost. What Jesus does is he under-promises. You want to follow me? Okay, you're going to probably die. I'm thinking, you know, here we are, we're singing, we're singing this morning, following you on the road to suffering where I die. You know, I'm looking around at the crowd going, who is, this is my people. Yeah, we're, you know, right? But, but isn't, that, isn't that what he does? So you're going to follow me? Take up your cross. It's a narrow road. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. But guess what? You're going to live. You're going to live. No fine print. It's going to cost you. And he underpromises, but he overdelivers. Sin overpromises, underdelivers, never lets you know the cost. Jesus puts the cost right up front. So, so what's the good news? That the gate is open. You see, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, God put some cherubim, these are angelic beings, at the door of the Garden of Eden that guarded the tree of life. Because now that they were in sin, if they ate that tree of life, they would have been hardened in their sin for eternity. God said their mortality is going to be the way of salvation. Keep them from eternal life. Until the seed of the woman came and he bruised the serpent's head. And he cried out from the cross. As Jesus died on the cross, he cried out, It is finished. And when he cried that out, an unseen hand came down and took the veil of the temple that separated the people from God. And he tore that veil that separated Jew from Gentile. He tore that veil that separated poor from rich, young from old. that all the cultural divisions of our time, he pulled that veil, and it was ripped in half, and the gate was opened for a time. It's open for a time. Just like that text that Joanna read, another year, another season. This life is not a game. It's not a dry run. We have time. We have time to enter the gate, to go the narrow road, and to find life. And that's Christ's invitation to us today. So God has uh, gone to measurable lengths to open the gate of life for us. And he urges us, counter to our natural inclinations and the assumptions of the world, to proactively enter into life that he has provided for us. God says, what is the point of resistance for you? When you get on that Niagara What's the point of resistance? Where do you have to thoughtfully resist your own inclinations, your own sin nature, what the world is telling you to follow Christ and to enter life? What is that point? When you come to receive communion today, ask the Lord to give you that power boat of His Spirit. Maybe get somebody to pray for you. And as you receive the body and the blood of Christ today, get on your knees and Crawl through that narrow, restrictive gate of humility and repentance because that's the way to life. That's the way to life. Uh, 
Denzel Washington was up for a, a nomination for a Best Actor in the movie Flight. It's a bit raw, I'll warn you, at the beginning, but he's this high-flying pilot who's, who's just got, got, got the world by the tail. I mean, he's just, he's, he's, he's got it all. He's got any woman he wants. He's just, he's, he's living the life. He's got the money, but he's in denial about his alcoholism. And I love, and it's going to be a spoiler, so if you're going to watch it, plug your ears. But I love the way that this man, who through his whole, through a whole story, is in this delusion and in this bondage. But all of a sudden there's this scene where he says, my name is, I forget what his name was, the character was, but he says, my name is, and I'm an alcoholic. And as the camera backs up, you see him sitting in a prison cell with a group of other inmates. And over the next couple of minutes, you realize that this man has never been more free in his whole life. We lie to ourselves. We're such good liars. And you know who I'm the best liar to? Me. I fool myself. That's why I need my brother. I need 180 degree. I, need, I only have 180 degree vision. I need 360 degree vision. I need sisters and brothers that I can be honest with and accountable to and have them call me on stuff each other. That's the way. That's the narrow gate. That's the narrow road. It's restrictive and sometimes challenging and sometimes threatening to our pride and our independence and our sin nature. But it's the way to life. So, so for communion, what is the point of resistance for me today? Not, not just where the enemy is resisting you, but, but where you're needing to resist the powers just going to invite uh, our servers if they could come and, and prepare. We have a non-wheat option for those who cannot have uh, wheat in their diet. And uh, we serve by intinction. In other words, by intinction, we mean you take a piece of the bread and you dip it in the cup. And we're going to partake of communion today. And if you're here and this is new to you and you're not sure what it's all about, it's simply an expression of our faith that Jesus Christ has opened the gate. And it's our response. It's one of the ways that he said we can respond. We can make every effort. But he says it's there. You have to come. You have to come. Some, some, uh, some movements and churches say that you cannot do this unless you've first been baptized in water and repented of your sin. I would say that I agree with that, except that sometimes I've seen people touched by God and impacted by actually doing this as an act of repentance, as an act of coming to Christ, as an act of faith. So if you do that as an act of faith, even if you struggle and you say, I, 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 I want to believe, but I, ah, there are so many questions. I think that Christ meets you at your point of honesty. He loves Honesty. He loves that. So let's pray. Why don't we stand together? Heavenly Father, Lord, I, I, I just, uh, as we wait in your presence, in, and I'm just going to, by the way, encourage parents that want to involve your children in this just to go. I think Matt's uh, supervising today, so uh, maybe everybody could just go get your kids, and whether or not they participate, uh, just bring them up. And... Uh, 
I went to an Anglican church recently, and they, they said if the, if the child doesn't want, is, is not old enough to receive or is not ready, they said to just cross your, your arms like this when you come to, so you could bring them forward and, and just cross, which means they don't receive, but there's still, there's still faith. I love that. My little two-year-old granddaughter, Hannah, she didn't know that, so she saw the wafers and she just grabbed a handful and stuffed them in her mouth. <laughs> I think there was mercy and grace for that. But uh, I think it's good for kids to watch, what, regardless of where you're at with them in this, and for them to see and appreciate this. I think it's, it's very precious. So we want to just encourage you as parents to, to disciple your kids in this. But the Bible says that the Lord Jesus, the same night he was betrayed, he took bread and he said, take eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, he took the cup in the same way, and he lifted it, and he gave thanks. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. So I'm just going to invite you. We usually form a, a line down this aisle and just invite you to, to come and partake. If you, if you don't feel ready or you're not sure and you, you would like to refrain, we, we bless you just to observe, to sit down, to... Enjoy the presence of the Lord. Uh, we, we're going to make this a place of prayer, so if you want to visit, uh, we encourage you to go outside in the foyer area or in the coffee room. Uh, we'd like to just make this a place of prayer. If you'd like to receive prayer uh, after you've received communion, then we encourage you to just stay here at the front or go back and, and pray with a, with a friend. But uh, we'll bless you to receive communion. May the grace of our Lord Jesus and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.